0: 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down. But not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the de stressing truth of this passage is awesome. You are the treasure Paul is writing about. To have you plus nothing makes us as rich as anybody in the history of the universe. To have you plus everything else wouldn't make us any richer than he who has you alone. You are the treasure all other currencies mimic and counterfeit. Nothing compares to the greatness of knowing you and the wonder of being loved by you. You inhabit Our weakness like a Rembrandt painting in a picture frame of straw. Or like the Hope Diamond mounted in a necklace of tin foil and scotch tape. You get all the attention and honor. And we get the supreme privilege of simply being used of you. Just as it should be. And just as we want it to be. Though few of us are in a season of intense persecution for our faith, like Paul was, nevertheless, we can relate to his images of being hard-pressed and perplexed. The stories, demands, and emotional expenditure of life tax our limits and drive us to you, which is a good thing. None of us is called to be the fourth member of the Trinity. None of us is called to be a superhero. None of us is called to be awesome. All of us are called to own our limits, rest in your love, and trust in your sovereignty. So as this day begins, grant us grace to boast in our weaknesses that your beauty goodness and kindness might be revealed through us. Jesus, help us to die to our unrealistic to-do lists and fear of not getting everything done. May your cross and resurrection shape our thinking, feeling, and doing. So very amen, we pray in your tender and triumphant name. Well, if last year didn't knock the swagger out of you, I don't know what will. If you weren't humbled and brought to your knees and reminded of your frailty, and if you didn't come to grips with your inability to change things last year, then I don't know what will. I don't know how anyone could leave 2020 behind and be full of swagger especially disciples, and if you weren't humbled by 2020, then maybe you have too high a view of yourself, and I'm here to help you with that. Actually, the Apostle Paul is. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Last week, we said goodbye to Haggai, and now we're back in 2 Corinthians, continuing our series Neon gospel. And today, the Apostle Paul will tell us, cheer up. God's Spirit works in your weakness. Cheer up. The Spirit of Jesus is working in your weakness. Actually, the Apostle Paul doesn't say that. The late Jack Miller said that. He was a pastor and seminary professor. He's the guy who first started using the phrase that we say around here all the time, preach the gospel to yourself. He's one of my heroes, and he's in my top five of most influential people in my life. I can't wait to meet Jack Miller in heaven. He had a really quirky and unique personality, and God used him mightily. Obviously, because he helped to launch the gospel-centered movement that has swept across churches over the last 15 years. Even though he died in 1996 and really didn't get to see it. But his fingerprints are all over the ministries of people like Tim Keller. Tim Keller says, Jack Miller taught me how to preach grace. People like Tim Keller and... John Piper, and Jerry Bridges, and Johnny Erickson Tata, and Larry Crabb, and David Pallison, and uh, so many others. Jack Miller was quirky and unique, and God used him mightily and worked through his very unique personality, and that gives me so much hope. God can use a weirdo and a misfit like me. And Jack Miller knew what it meant to be a jar of clay. He felt that. And he knew the joy that comes when disciples start to believe that God's spirit works in our jar of clayness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Let's look at verse 7 and hear the word of the Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So Paul is still talking about new covenant gospel ministry here. It's been a while since we've been in this passage. Recall what we saw in the previous paragraph And then even into the last of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, Paul used phrases like the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And he spoke of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when Paul says that we have this treasure in jars of clay, he's speaking about the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners by his grace. He's talking about the good news that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. He's talking about how the Holy Spirit is alive and well and at work 24-7 in our weakness. Paul's talking about the new covenant. Now, think about this. Because it's so easy just to cruise right past this, especially if you're familiar with this verse, which you probably are. Paul says, we have this treasure. Did you catch that in verse 7? We have this treasure. Wow. Those four words should shock us. I mean, that's incredible. God has given to us the wonderful treasure of the gospel, to love it, to cherish it, to share it, to preach it. We have the most valuable treasure in the entire universe. So I was just struck by those four words as I was working on this sermon, and I just had to slow down and meditate on that and think about that. Wow, people like us, who aren't anything special in and of ourselves, we have this wonderful treasure. Amazing. The Spirit of God lives in us, individually and corporately. Wow. And one reason we should be shocked is because of who we are. Paul tells us we're just jars of clay. We're just fragile pottery. Uh, If you bump into us, we crack. If you drop us, we break. If you kind of bump into us with something, we shatter. And yet we have the treasure of the gospel, the power of God inside of us. Now, when Paul calls us jars of clay here, he's talking about the very common, ordinary, everyday clay pots that everyone used. Okay, So think Tupperware maybe but more uh, fragile. These clay pots were used to store things in, to transport and carry things, and they would crack and they would break all the time. They were expendable because they were cheap and often unattractive. That's the picture we have here. So Paul's saying we're just old, cracked clay pots. We're not much to look at, But we have the treasure of the gospel. Why? Why would the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the infinitely glorious triune God, why would he put his treasure, the gospel, in old, frail, clay pots that just crack and break all the time and are often very unattractive? Well, Paul gives the answer in verse 7. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The reason we have the treasure of the gospel is to show the surpassing power of new covenant ministry lies with God and not us. The surpassing power that is evident in our lives, especially when we suffer. And that's the context for the whole book of 2 Corinthians. Suffering. This surpassing power that we show forth and that is evident in our lives, especially when we suffer, it certainly doesn't come from weak vessels, does it? It comes from God. Therefore, he alone gets the glory. This is the way God designed it. So, when Paul calls us jars of clay, he's contrasting us with God's power. When he calls us fragile, frail pots, he's reminding us that we are weak, that weakness is the way. This is the way, weakness. Paul is coming back once again to the main theme of 2 Corinthians here in verse 7. That the weakness of man exalts the power of God. That's his point here in verse 7. The weakness of man exalts the power and the glory of God. And that happens when fragile clay jars do ministry. God gets the glory, not us. We're just weak, old, unattractive, expendable, cracked pots. When Paul calls us jars of clay, he's reminding us once again that we are weak. So verse 7 reminds us once again that weakness is where Paul does ministry. He doesn't do it in an ivory tower. He doesn't write commentaries on the third-story library of a seminary, kind of detached from real life. Paul does his theology in the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain, and in the middle of overwhelming weakness. This is where the glory of God shines. This is how we show, as Paul says, that the surpassing power comes from God. It's when we suffer and when we are sustained by His grace. That's how we show it. When we go through trials that we don't think we're going to make it out of, And we make it out of it. That's how we show that it's nothing to do with us. And it's everything to do with the power of God. When we go through situations that we don't like. When we have to deal with people that we don't like. When we have to endure crazy political climates that we don't like. We show that the surpassing power belongs to God as we endure all of these things that we don't like. Now, I know it won't sell leadership books, but Paul is telling us to rejoice and take great delight in the fact that we are weak. You don't hear many leaders owning up to their weaknesses, but Paul tells us that weakness, he tells us that our jar of clayness is the key to gospel ministry. Weakness is the way. It's the prerequisite for gospel ministry. It's the key. But why is it the key? And why in the world will we want to embrace our weakness? Why should we boast, as Paul says later in Second Corinthians chapter 12, Why should we rejoice in our weakness? I mean, who wants to be weak? Nobody does, right? Who wants to feel desperate? Why in the world would we do that? Here's why. Because when we do, that's when God's surpassing power comes and rests upon us. That means then that the sweet spot of life and ministry is coming to grips with your weakness and then trusting Jesus' ability to meet your need. And when you do that, you'll find yourself experiencing in real time His surpassing power resting upon you. That's when God's surpassing power floods your life. When you come to grips with your jar of clayness, that's when God's surpassing power will come and rest on you. There's a reason why 2 Corinthians 4, 7 is a much-loved verse. And why it's probably highlighted in your Bible. Because 2 Corinthians 4, 7 is the normal life. That's why this verse resonates with your heart. Because you feel that you are a jar of clay. You feel that, right? You get out of bed in the morning and you feel it. That's why you need coffee every day. Because you are a jar of clay. So embracing your jar of clayness is the normal Christian life. So you better get used to it. That's what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. Weakness. And if you can stomach that truth, then weakness, the thing that you probably dread, actually becomes the sweet spot in life and ministry. Number one, because God's surpassing power then invades your life. And number two, God gets the glory. And that's what life and ministry is all about, right? The glory of God. So you want to glorify God, just accept the fact that you're weak and you're desperate and you need the Holy Spirit. Get this, owning your jar of clayness. That's when you get connected to the Holy Spirit and His surpassing power. When you really feel anew, you feel it in your bones, that you're just an old cracked clay pot. That's what connects you once again to the surpassing power of the Holy Spirit. So, realizing just how weak, needy, and dependent you are can be a good thing because you get Jesus. It seems like a scary place to be, doesn't it? Weak and frail and fragile and desperate and needy. But the fact of the matter is that it is reality whether you feel that or not. It's where we are whether we admit it or not. It's who we are. Weak is who we are. Clay jar is who we are. And so weakness is what actually qualifies us for God's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, surpassing power. The thing that we don't want to be, a jar of clay, that's what connects us to the surpassing power of God. So, why don't we just stop trying to be strong? Why don't we just stop trying to do things in our own strength and in our own wisdom? Why don't we just embrace who we are and welcome the surpassing power of God into our life? I mean, which way this works out better? You trying to fake it? You trying to do things in your own strength? Or you saying, oh my goodness, Jesus, I'm desperate. I need you. I'm going to rest and believe that you're going to come through for me. Which way would you rather live? If you're like me, you live over here most of the time, still thinking somehow you can do it in your own power, instead of humbling yourself and saying, Jesus, I need you, and I'm just going to trust you. Why don't we just embrace who we are and welcome this power? But so often we push back against this weakness, don't we? Do you know why we push back against our weakness? It's our high view of ourselves. That's the answer. Swagger. Swagger turns the offer of God's surpassing power into, nah, I don't think I need surpassing power right now. But thanks anyway. I got this. Pride and swagger cause us to forget that power belongs to God and not to us. That's why Paul tells us in verse 7, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul could have just said the surpassing power belongs to God and we would have agreed with him. Yes, Paul, the surpassing power does belong to God. We concur. Amen. But the Holy Spirit knew that we would need the reminder at the end of verse 4. At the end of verse 7, those four words, and not to us. The Holy Spirit knew that we would need those four words added and not to us. Why? Because functionally, We will admit that power belongs to God. But that doesn't stop us from trying to help, does it? We believe on paper. Yes, God is all-powerful. But it doesn't stop us from trying to do things and manage things on our own, does it? We know that power belongs to God. But how often do we try to do it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power? Answer, all the time. It doesn't stop us from trying to carry the weight and the burden, does it? We say, all power belongs to God. He is omnipotent, but I'm going to carry this burden. All power belongs to God. He's all-powerful, almighty, but I'm going to carry this weight myself. We tip our hat to God's power, and then we try to do things in our own strength, and then we're weary and exhausted and miserable and so we fear weakness and we don't want to own our jar of clayness but what we don't realize is that is what opens the door to sweet fellowship with jesus because you get alone with him and you say i can't do it without you i need you i'm desperate please work through this situation please resolve this please bring healing please please bring peace something jesus So it opens the door to sweet fellowship with Jesus. Embracing your jar of cleanness is what enables you to enjoy your Savior. And so weakness opens the door to the Spirit of God coming in with a big box of His surprising power. So understand this, Grace. It's the Spirit's power that's connected to our weakness. That's actually how Christianity works. They go hand in hand. When you realize just how weak you are, that's the part that you play in all of this. All that you were called to be is weak. That's it. Be a jar of clay. And then you connect your weakness to the Spirit's power. That's what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 is all about. The Spirit comes and attaches Himself to our weakness. The Spirit is all about that 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, surpassing power business. It's what he lives for. The Holy Spirit loves Jars of Clay. Maybe even he loves the band by that name. Do you know the band? You know, I just had to mention the Christian band Jars of Clay. After their first album came out in 1995, you can't preach a sermon on 2 Corinthians 4.7 and not mention the band Jars of Clay. In fact, after I write, type those words, and I thought of you, Chet, after I typed those words, I thought, I need to go back and listen to their first album as I work on this sermon. And so I did. Well, after 1995, you can't work on a sermon on 2 Corinthians 4-7 and not listen to the band Jars of Clay. This is where they get their name. Jars of Clay, us, Jars of Clay are the Holy Spirit's favorite kind of people. He only indwells jars of clay because that's how his surpassing power shines forth. And that's kind of what the late New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce was getting at when he paraphrased 2 Corinthians 12, 9 this way about power being made perfect in weakness. He said, my power is most fully displayed when my people are weak. That's how we show forth his power. God's power is most fully displayed displayed when his people are weak it's not most fully displayed through our swagger recall the super apostles remember they had invaded the church at corinth and they were preaching and always be powerful never show any weakness gospel that was their gospel always be powerful always be formidable always have a smile on your face Never show any weakness kind of gospel. But they knew nothing of the gospel's power. All they knew was trying to be impressive. But genuine gospel-centered, authentic Christianity does not produce a race of superheroes who somehow rise above need. Genuine gospel-centered, authentic Christianity produces weak, needy sinners. So let me ask you today, where are you weak? Where do you feel it in your life, your weakness, your inability? What are you unable to do in your own strength? Where do you need the Spirit of God to empower you? Where do you feel overwhelmed in your life? Is it a situation, a circumstance, a relationship, something in your life? Where do you just feel overwhelmed and you just want to quit? Where do you feel that today? Do you feel that today? If you do, great, awesome, cheer up because that's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot of life. The places that we dread where we get in situations and circumstances and we don't want to be there and it's awkward and it's weird and it's difficult. We don't want that. It's actually the sweet spot That's where you'll find the surpassing power of God invading your life. So embrace it. Don't fight it. Welcome the Holy Spirit in those places. Ask Jesus for help, and he will flood your life with his power. Listen, you'll never move beyond this place of desperation. You'll never reach a place where you feel like you can handle it. If you go through something and the Spirit delivers and empowers you and you make it through, as soon as you come out, you know what's coming, don't you? It's like, made it through that. Thank you, Lord. Oh, gee, again? Yeah, that's life, right? You'll never reach a place where you feel like you can handle life. This is Christianity. This is discipleship. It's power made perfect in weakness. It's God's power most fully displayed through his overwhelmingly weak people. That is discipleship. So are you weak? Are you fragile? Do you feel overwhelmed? Then cheer up because God's spirit works in your weakness. This is proof that the Lord loves you and cares for you because he has asked you to cast your burdens on him. Cast your burdens on the Lord because he cares for you. How does he care for you? His spirit works with you in your weakness. You can't carry that weight. If you're carrying some weight and some burden today, whatever it is, because it's different for all of us, you can't carry that weight. You can't carry that burden. You do not have the power, whatever it is. What do you need to hand over to the Lord today? What burden, what care do you need to hand over to the Lord knowing that he cares for you? Cheer up, Grace. The Holy Spirit has surpassing power for all of your weaknesses. So Paul is telling us here that swagger and glory do not go hand in hand. The swagger of man and the glory of God do not go hand in hand. But weakness and glory do. And here's proof that the Spirit of Jesus works in our weaknesses. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So let's unpack each of these phrases. Number one, we are afflicted in every way, Paul says, but we're not crushed. Paul says he's been afflicted in every way. What, what he means is that he's suffering physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, you name it, he has suffered it in every way. In other words, whatever kind of suffering that you can bring up in conversation with Paul, Paul says, been there, done that, got the t-shirt and the scars to prove it. But what does Paul mean by affliction? Affliction. What does that entail? The word here, the Greek word here for affliction has both this outward and this inward idea. Outward, you see it with tribulations, trials, pressures, hardships, troubles, persecutions, sufferings. And inwardly, it's all the distresses and the anxieties that plague us. So it's this whole package of what we experience outwardly and then inwardly when we suffer. There's a physical aspect outward and an inner aspect of affliction and suffering. Here's how it looked for Paul. Let's read Paul's diary in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 20, 23 to 28. Paul says, With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one, And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's what affliction looked like for Paul. And then some. Thrown in jail, beaten, near death often. Okay, Lots of death threats, not just once occasionally. Whipped on five different occasions for a total of 195 lashes. Three times beaten with wooden rods. Rocks thrown at him. Shipwrecked three times. I mean, after the second shipwreck, you'd think, Paul, don't get on a boat. Shipwrecked three times, floating in the sea for 24 hours, hanging on to a piece of wood and just floating and trying to rub his nose into the promises of God. And then he says, danger, danger, danger from everybody and everywhere I went. Sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty. Then he says, often without food, not occasionally. Often he was without food. He was cold. Exposure to the ailments. And then on top of all of that, Paul says all the drama and the cares and the concerns that come with pastoral ministry were weighing on his heart. As I'm floating in the sea for 24 hours, I'm worried about the Corinthian church and what's going on there, and I can't do anything about it but float and pray. All of that, Paul is summing up here with that one word, affliction. Afflicted, With all of that, and Paul says, but I'm not crushed. Are you kidding me, Paul? I get a flat tire, and I'm crushed. Oh, it's a flat tire. Oh, Paul is afflicted with all of that, and he says, but I'm not crushed. How is that possible? You know the answer now, don't you? The surpassing power of God. Paul was afflicted in every way, and it looked different for him at different times in his life. And the same is true for you and me, right? We all suffer affliction in many different ways, both outward and inward. But no matter how you color it, no matter how you dress it up, affliction is affliction. And it stinks and it hurts and we don't like it. And that's okay. Paul's not calling on us to enjoy affliction. We're just called to enjoy the God of surpassing power as we suffer And when you are suffering, listen, it is imperative that you preach to yourself the good news of God's surpassing power. That I can make it through this because of Jesus. You must preach to yourself over and over again that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to you. That it's up to Him to sustain you, not you. That it's up to Him. Your job when you suffer is simply To collapse into Jesus. Your job when you suffer is not to be powerful, formidable, self-sufficient, zippity-doo-dah, ignoring all the pain and suffering. No, your job is just to collapse, to own your weakness and run to Jesus and collapse into the arms of the God who possesses this all-surpassing power. Well, then Paul says, that he's perplexed, but not driven to despair. In Greek, there's a play on words here. He says, I am operuminoi, but not ex operuminoi. So scholars have worded it this way. Bewildered, but not at wit, never at wit's end. At a loss, but not completely baffled. Put to it, but not utterly put out. Confused, but not confounded. At a loss, but not lost. Stressed, but not stressed out. Have you ever suffered and thought, I'm going to lose my mind? But you didn't lose your mind. Have you ever gone through some painful, downright, awful affliction, and you thought, I'm going to go crazy, and you didn't go crazy? Have you ever gone through such deep heartache and pain, and you thought, I'm not going to make it? And here you are today. You made it. That, my friends, is what Paul is talking about. It's the surpassing power of God sustaining some old cracked clay pot. It's the surpassing power of Godness showing up in your jar of clayness. It's the power of the gospel that keeps you, a cracked pot, from cracking up and having an emotional breakdown. So here's my rough paraphrase of this phrase. Cracked, but not cracked up. Or cracked. Freaked out, but not freaking out. There's a difference. And we've all been there. And we've made it through some very difficult season of life and ministry without losing our minds. And how do we pull through? Because of the surpassing greatness of his power. Well, We have two more phrases to look at here. Paul says he's persecuted but not forsaken. Paul knew persecution. We saw it earlier in 2 Corinthians 11. He was beaten, stoned with rocks, left for dead, prison. Paul knew what persecution was. He preached the gospel in a very hostile world, and he suffered immensely for it. And yet through it all, God never forsook him. God never abandoned him. And that means that Jesus won't abandon you when you share the gospel with someone, even if you get persecuted So let's keep sharing this good news with our friends and neighbors, regardless of what culture says, regardless of how much they hate us. Let's keep sharing this good news. And if we're persecuted, we will not be abandoned. Lastly, Paul says, we're struck down but not destroyed. It's actually a wrestling term that Paul uses here. The idea is that he's thrown to the ground like a body slam. Here's how some have worded it. Knocked down, but not knocked out. Beaten to the earth, yet not killed outright. Beaten to my knees, but not finished off. Knocked to the ground, but not permanently grounded. In other words, Paul's saying, I was body slammed by Andre the Giant, but I got back up. And so in summary, I think what Paul is saying in verses 8 and 9 is this. I've been boxed into every corner, every type of suffering that you can imagine, but I got out. I've been confused and perplexed about the suffering and trials in my life, but not to the point that it drove me crazy. I've been persecuted for Christ, and the blade has been at my neck, but never have they chopped my head off. Jesus has been with me during every moment of persecution. I've been knocked down to the ground, but never knocked out. How did I survive all this? How did this old cracked clay pot keep from crumbling? It was all due to God's surpassing power. So glory be to God. Paul's point here in piling up these words in verse 8 is to remind us that weakness is not some emergency that just kind of pops up in our life. Weakness is not, oh no, the fire alarm is going off. Danger, crisis, emergency. I'm suddenly weak. Wow. Weakness is everyday discipleship. Listen, we will never move beyond need. We will never move out of or grow out of our neediness. You will be just as needy as a 95 year old believer who has known Jesus for 90 years as much as a five year old believer who has known Jesus for 90 minutes. And so our weakness is not an emergency situation or a crisis that just pops up unexpected. It's us. We go to bed weak. We sleep weak. We wake up weak. And even if we drink five cups of coffee, you guessed it, we're still weak. Power, on the other hand, belongs to God. He owns Power. He's got the copyright on power. It's trademarked under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So power doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God alone. And if we will humbly believe that, then we will find ourselves on the other side of Paul's phrases. Afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. they not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And so when Paul piles up words like afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, he's describing the normal Christian life. Of course, the degrees and intensity and severity of these words will vary. Thank God. Thank God that affliction and being persecuted and persecution and being struck down are not always turned up to 11 But in general, Paul is describing the very normal Christian life. It's one marked by suffering. Just like Jesus. His life shows us that suffering precedes glory. And so the gospel of a crucified suffering Savior, that's our message. Christ crucified for sinners. But that gospel message also helps to shape our philosophy of ministry. This is Paul's philosophy of ministry. And the gospel of a crucified Savior has helped to shape Paul's philosophy of ministry. The gospel message helps us to shape our philosophy of ministry, helps to shape our programs and what we communicate and the DNA and the vibe of our church. That means then that everything we do here is either communicating, number one, the gospel of a crucified Savior, or number two, it's communicating our own power and our own cleverness. There's nothing that we do as a church that is neutral. Everything we do is either showing that we are jars of clay in desperate need of surpassing power, or it's showing that we are sufficient clever and wise. We're either giving off the vibe here at Grace of weakness or swagger. There's no neutral ground. And that's why we have three different opportunities together as a church family to pray. Sunday at 4 p.m., you can come and walk the church property with those who walk and pray. Or you can come back Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. in the chapel, in the education building, And pray, or you can come on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. in the chapel in the education building. We have those prayer times because we believe that we are jars of clay. And if we don't pray, we're not gonna make it. Didn't MC Hammer say that? You got to pray just to make it today. That's what he said. Yeah, that's a theologian you should listen to. You got to pray just to make it today. See what happens when I go off the manuscript. I bring up MC Hammer. We have those prayer times here at the church because we believe that we are jars of clay. And the events that have transpired this past week in our country should cause you to pray. So join us and let's pray for our country and our city. Pray. That's what jars of clays do. Because they need power. So listen, we're supposed to leave Second Corinthians 4, 7, and number one, give glory to God for saving sinners because we have no power in and of ourselves to save ourselves. Give glory to God that he saved you. And number two, we're to give glory to God for all of the times that he has sustained us. When we thought we were going to go crazy, when life was so hard we just wanted to die and he sustained us. Look back over your life and give glory to God for how his surpassing power kept you afloat. And then number three, we're supposed to leave 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and get on our knees. This is a passage that should drive you to your knees in prayer. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 is in the Bible to make you see once again that you need to pray. It should humble us and knock the swagger out of our step. So we're either giving off the vibe of weakness or swagger here at Grace. In fact, if we're not careful, we can actually preach a gospel that is at odds with the real gospel. That's why we must be careful that we never give people confidence in something other than Jesus. We must avoid anything that encourages people to not think of themselves as jars of clay. Listen, ministries and churches that are shaped by the marketplace and by consumerism and being trendy and cool and hip, those churches will inevitably be making disciples who live as consumers. When you go to the marketplace, when consumerism is your product and trying to be cool and hip and trendy, what you will do as a church is you will inevitably be making disciples who live as consumers. Give us what we want. Give us what we think is best. And you won't be making disciples who learn to die Self. and that can actually happen even if the gospel is still being preached that means then that a savior who suffered and was crucified cannot be truly preached by showy flashy preachers who want to be the center of attention let me say it again a savior who suffered and was crucified cannot be truly preached by showy, flashy preachers who want to be the center of attention. It goes against the very gospel that we preach. And that was the super apostles that Paul was dealing with. Listen, a narcissist cannot truly preach a suffering savior who was crucified. So the humility of Jesus should be reflected not only in our lives, Paul shows us here, but in our philosophy of ministry, in our churches, in our worship services. Sunday morning is another opportunity to show, as Paul says in verse 7, that all the power belongs to God and therefore he alone should receive the glory. And so people should leave grace every week saying, I'm just a jar of clay, but I'm going to cheer up. Because the surpassing power of God is available for people like me. And you can leave saying that today too. So cheer up. God's spirit works in your weakness. And you can leave today as a weak sinner saved by grace saying, I am forgiven and I am loved and I have been crucified with Christ, so I'm going to cheer up. How so? Just repent and believe. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, how we've made it backwards in so many ways. Tried to make church life in our lives about swagger and being strong and formidable and always putting best face that we have out there instead of owning who we really are weak and frail and fragile. And so we ask you to forgive us if we've given off the vibe here at this church that we have it all together. If we've given off the vibe, Lord, that we can make things happen because we're cool and hip and trendy, which I don't think we are. But if we've given off that vibe here through our ministries, Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for not embracing our jar of clayness. And remind us and help us to see that this is the key to doing ministry that benefits other people and ultimately brings glory to you. And that's what we want to do, Jesus. So we want to give you glory right now, Jesus, for saving sinners because we couldn't do that ourselves. And we want to give you glory, Jesus, for all the ways that you've carried us through some of the most horrendous, difficult, overwhelming seasons of our lives where we thought we just wouldn't make it, and you, you carried us through and sustained us. And here we are, and we give you glory to that. And Jesus, we want to fall to our knees, so make us a church that because of 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we look at each other and say, we have to pray, make us more and more a praying church so that your power shows up here, and so that you get glory. In your name we pray. Amen.